All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, into verse 9. Look at verse 10, and I'll let you be seated. Here's what Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, he's, he's not speaking of a biological Father here. He is speaking of the source, the source of all life, teaching us how to pray, how to approach the throne. Our Father in heaven, may your name, which is the name of God, is the identity of God. And it's really important to know the identity of God. Amen especially in a culture that is so rife with searching for identity. Isn't it interesting that we can see the identity of our source in his word? Amen, amen. May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Everybody say kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we're seated, Father, you are the source of everything. You are the reason that we live, we breathe, and we find our meaning. We ask that your word come alive in every one of our understanding. Change our soul today, God. Don't just touch our spirit. Touch our character, the very part of who we are that is so easily influenced, Lord. Change our character by the power of your word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Y'all can be seated. Uh, Sincerely, thank you for all of the the well wishes. We, We are truly honored. And I want to give honor. I know that we honored our pastoral team last week, but I I also want to say it is Pastoral Appreciation Month, and I am super thankful for the Valverdes. I'm super thankful for the Walsworth, and I'm super thankful for Chris and Toph. (laughs) No, I'm I'm also very thankful for the Landes family. They were amazing. They just joined our pastoral team last Sunday. We ordained them as pastors, and I'm super thankful for that. I'm also thankful to pastors John and Mary Waniki in the country of Kenya, in Kasuku, Kenya. Let's give them pastor appreciation right now. Pastor John and Mary, y'all are amazing. Just like every week wanting to start like 19 more churches over there. Like you, 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 we're trying to, to like rope them down. We can't do it, but we're super thankful that y'all are in our lives and we're super thankful for what God is doing over there. Today is... Part four of our This is the Kingdom series, and it is the third part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been unpacking the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today is chapter 7. If you've missed any part of this or any part of the series, you can go to nolachurch.com or check us out on YouTube, our YouTube channel has all of our sermons in. If you missed any part of this, I want to encourage you, go watch them because there's a lot in this. Not because I'm saying it, but because the word of God is filled with so much truth. Amen? And we have been learning over the last three weeks about the culture of the kingdom. We, we established first off in this series that we are a part of a monarchy, not a democracy. I know we live in the United States, which is a, a, a republic democracy, but we live as believers, we live in a monarchy. And the problem is we sometimes forget that fact. We think we have a vote in the will of God. We think that's so funny because people always say, well, the will of God for my life is this. And like, it doesn't align with the word of God at all. That means we think we have a vote. We don't get to go to the polls in two weeks and vote on the will of God. Amen. We have to just simply obey the word of the king because the king has been the king before there ever was a creation. He is already sitting on the throne and his will is already established. And that's what we're learning in this series because I believe it's so vitally important that as believers we disconnect ourselves somewhat 
from the culture of the world in which we live because the culture of the world is pulling ever away from God. But God wants his believers and he wants his church, he wants his citizens, if I can use this phraseology, he wants us to lean into his kingship. Because when we lean into the monarchy that is led by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, this is when the world that we live in begins to be radically altered by the power of God coursing through the veins of everyone who calls himself a believer. So this is where we're at. And today in chapter 7, let me, let me bring you up to speed real quick. In chapter 5, we learned about the attitude of a citizen. The first chapter in the Sermon on the Mount that we learned about the attitude. There's a bad attitude that we can have and there's a good attitude we can have. Some of us have both on the same day, amen? Look at your neighbor and bump them on there. Like, don't, don't call them out too bad. They may be having one of those bad attitudes right now and they'll come back at you. But there's an attitude that a citizen should have. It's not, I'm going to make it up as I go. I'm not going to respond to, to my situations with a bad attitude. I'm going to remember that I'm a child of God. And then last week we learned about the response. And this is important because it's easy to react to situations that happen, right? Like, I, I, I talk about this a lot, but I, because I believe it's important to be transparent when you're in the pulpit. I don't like when people in the pulpit act like they've got all their stuff together, when like they step off the stage and everything falls apart and they've got this mask. I'm a train wreck most of the time. And don't say amen, babe. That's just not fair. But You really find out what's going on in my life when I drive down the road because it's like the Lord wants to teach me patience I, I obey the Bible. It says, whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. And I try to go quickly when I'm in the car and everybody goes in front of me that don't have ticket money and they want to go slowly. The other day, like I had just preached about the response. Like literally, this, this is Monday. I preached about the response of a believer on Sunday. Monday, I'm driving down the road on the way to Home Depot to pick up some of my many, many responsibilities as husband and father at the young household, all the little honeydews that I have to do on my day off, like whatever that's about. But anyway, I'm driving down the road after I learned so beautifully about the response and someone makes a right-hand turn out of the left lane with no blinker in the middle of traffic. I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. The problem was the Spirit wasn't capital S. It was my Spirit, and the tongues were not godly tongues. I had to pull over and repent real quick because, like, I wasn't even responding. There is a response that a citizen of the kingdom should have. A lot of times we react, amen? Like, last Sunday came for all of us. Like, got all up in our grits and, like, just mess with us because... A lot of times we react to the situations in life. Something bad happens and we immediately go here. But there is a godly response. There is a citizen's response. And if you want to learn what that is all about, you can go read chapter 6 and watch last Sunday's sermon. Today, we're going to close out the Sermon on the Mount learning about the result. Everybody say the result. We're learning what it is to be a part of the culture of our king. We're going to be unpacking Matthew chapter 7. And again, I'm not reading the whole chapter. I'm going to be hitting some high points. Your homework this week is to read chapter 7 and then do everything you see there. Amen? Y'all ready? All right, here we go. In, in verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, do not judge. Mm, we love that one. Do not judge. Why don't we judge? So that we will not be judged. It's Pretty, pretty straightforward there. Don't judge 
so you won't be judged. So in other words, give the grace that you've received. Anybody besides me received great grace? I've received some serious grace. Some of y'all have not, have not apparently received the grace. I'm going to open the altar up in a few minutes and y'all can come down and receive some grace. But don't judge so that you won't be judged. Look at verse 2. For by the standard, everybody notice this, by the standard you judge, you will be judged. And by the measure you use will be measured, will be the measure that you receive. Here's the thing that you've got to understand as a citizen of the kingdom of God, but also just as a human being who is alive and breathing in the world today, you and I determine our own judgment. Like the, the thing that we hear all the time is don't judge me for my opinions. Don't judge me for the things that I enjoy doing. Don't you dare judge me. And when they find out we're Christians, they say, well, Christians aren't supposed to judge. The question that I have for you, is that what he said? Actually, that's not what he said. He said, if you don't want to be a judge, or if you don't want to be judged by others, don't judge them. You don't give what you don't want to receive. But the problem is so many times we feel like as the citizens, it's our job to go into a godless world and start declaring all their sin instead of starting to declare the king. Ooh, big difference. He never says, go declare the sins of the world. He says, go make disciples and go be witnesses unto me. Are we saying the sin or are we saying the Savior? What measure are we giving? Here's the deal, y'all. I need grace and mercy in my life. We've talked about this already in the series. And if you haven't talked about this, you ought to be talking about the grace and the mercy that you need. Because every one of us, we were born in sin and in sin did our mothers conceive us. And we are born and we're shaping in iniquity. All of these phrases that we learn from the Bible. But here's the deal. Every one of us need a Savior. And the only reason any of us even know anything about the Savior is because of the amazing grace of the Almighty God. What measure are we given? Are we giving grace or are we given some religious piety that doesn't mean anything? Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a Karen. Don't be a Karen. Like, like the populations, the population of Karens is expanding every day in the world. Like every day, it's like there's more and more of them. Like where there were no Karens before, there shall be Karens tomorrow. I mean, it's just. And the worst thing that we can do is like, but did you know what that meant? Like I'm a parent. And when my kids like some of this, this music by Harold Styles, that's what I call him because I'm just old. But I'm like, you probably shouldn't listen to that song. You know what he's talking about? No, it's just watermelon and sugar. I ain't talking about watermelon and sugar, baby. He's not talking about that. Like, I'm parenting, but it's not my job to parent you. And it's not the church's job to parent the lost world. Get down off your high horse, Karen. You want to see the manager? His name is Jesus. You probably should have been talking to him before you started throwing judgment at somebody. Like, does this make sense today? Like, we, we need to pull it down. We, 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 need to, we need to think about what it actually is when we begin to throw a measure of judgment at somebody. What we're actually doing is expressing our pride and our religious piety or our religious self-righteousness. 
And if, if you dig into this part of chapter 7, here's what he talks about. He, he says, hey, you're really quick to point out the speck that's in your brother's eye, overlooking the fact that you have a telephone pole hanging out of the front of your face. And the, the speck, when he's like a splinter. But what, what's really interesting, he says, you've got a speck in, in your brother's eye, but you're ignoring the beam that is in your eye. They, when you unpack the word beam there and you dive into what he's talking about, it's literally a beam that would have been used in the foundational structure of the house. In other words, you're looking at a problem in somebody's else, somebody else's life and you're ignoring the foundational problem in your own life. You're fixating on what they need to do to get closer to God. Meanwhile, you're drifting further and further and further away in your righteousness, Karen. This is where the church gets caught up because we like to judge. We feel good about ourselves when we judge. And we, we really like to judge people who don't agree with us. And we throw our righteousness, we throw it, we display it, we put it out there. And he never said, put that stuff out there. We need to display our Savior, not our opinions about our Savior. Amen? So what are we talking about here? Literally what we're doing, this is the first of, 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 of six results of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This, this first result, I'm just simply calling the graceful result. Everybody say graceful result. Come on, y'all say it like you preach with me. Say graceful result. Here's, here's what it is. If, if you want to know what the graceful result should look like in your life, serve others from a position of health, not superiority. The moment that you feel like you are better than them, you are no longer serving them. You are feeding your pride. Because godly serving is from a position of lowliness. Jesus says this to his disciples. In the world, like the people who lead others, they, they lord over them. But that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to serve them. In fact, the word that is used for the people who serve the world on behalf of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords are called ministers. Anyone ever heard the word, of, word minister? Like we got reserved parking for the ministry. We got reserved seating for the ministry. The ministry gets to eat first at the potluck dinners. Right, Y'all know what I'm talking about? Is it just me that grew up in Pentecost and understood that? Like, like it, it was time for dinner on the ground. Anybody besides me ever been to a dinner on the ground? Like, we need to bring those back. That's old. Miss Deb, that's old school right there. Y'all don't know what dinner, it, we're not eating food off the floor. That's gross. It's just like everybody brings a covered dish and we just, we sit around and we eat somebody else's food that they prepared and it was free for us because they prepared. It's awesome. It's great. But growing up, it was like, we're going to make room and let Pastor Young, that was my dad, Pastor Young and his family are going to go first. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with you so-and-sos, but I'm eating first. But here's the problem with that. We get up front trying to get ours first, and meanwhile, we've marginalized somebody. He says, in my kingdom, that's not how you do it. If you have responsibility in my kingdom, you're going to lower yourself down to where you can serve them from a position of humility. The word ministry or the word minister in the original language literally means the lowest form of servant. Because in the servitude, in the, in the hierarchy of servitude, there were all of these different positions the lowest one was the one that would wash your feet when you came into the house. You would come in because it was dusty everywhere and you would sit down and this lowest form of servant would wash your feet and dry them off and give you something clean to walk around the house in. 
It was the lowest. You, you had to graduate to another level. That's what Jesus calls his citizens. We are not to lord over the world. We're not better than the world. We are here to serve them and connect them with Jesus. Does this make sense? Y'all learning something? Look at your name and say, whoo. Look at the other name. Look at the other name and say, hey, it's Michael's birthday today. Happy birthday, Michael. Let's give him a hand. You thought I didn't know that, didn't you? I just kind of slipped that in there. Happy birthday, bro. 56 looks good on you, man. All right, so the first result is the graceful result. Let, let's go on to the next one, which I'm simply calling the TRO result. We'll, we'll dive into this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 and uh, verse 7 and 8. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Like this is very, very simple. It's like do this and this will happen. Joe mentioned this earlier. If then, if you ask, you'll receive. If, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door is going to be open. Here's the deal. You've got to understand this. The result that you're seeing here literally mandates your personal involvement and in what you are asking, seeking, and knocking for. So many believers get caught up in this thing like, well, I asked for God to do it and I'm just going to sit back and wait on him to do it. I'm, I just need to soak in his presence while he decides if he's going to do what I need. I'm not making fun of y'all. I'm making fun of me because I do this too. And we pout. And we get very introspective because we think that makes us seem intelligent. Just, I'm going to process whatever that means. Here's the truth. If you're not willing to be involved in getting out of the situation that you're in, God cannot do anything for you because your personal will is stopping him from changing the situation. There's an if then that is very strong. If I ask, if I seek, if I knock, there is a result and the result mandates my personal involvement. So, so what does he say in verse eight? He says, for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Notice that he's not saying there will be sometimes that this happens. You know, like every now and then, like, this will happen for these people. No, no, here's the deal. The only time it doesn't happen is if we don't personally get involved in the process. Well, I've been asking and I'm not getting it. Here, let me ask you this. What are you asking for? I'm seeking an answer and I'm not fine. What are you looking for? I'm knocking on the door. Is it the door to the throne room or is it the door to the, the thing that's hurting you? Are you looking for justification or are you actually looking for truth? Like, what are you looking for? Because here's the deal. You and I, pat yourself on the chest, say, you and I determine our own access. God doesn't determine your access. He's already provided the pathway. Ask, seek, not. It's there. That's the pathway. You want to you, you wanna receive? You, you, you want to find? You want to walk through the open door? You're the one that's determining your access, not me. All I did was provide the path and show you how to do it but the choice is yours. So, so here's what we learn in this is don't be a spectator. Don't be a spectator. And the problem with postmodern religion is there's so many of us that have turned 
faith into a spectator sport because we come to church for, for the most of us. That, that's literally all of our faith. Monday through Saturday has nothing to do with Jesus. We go to church for an hour and a half, two hours if we like really save church and you like do that whole thing and you just spectate because they're, they're up singing the songs and you go, oh, that's cool. I like that. Oh, they changed keys. Ooh, like what is that all about? That's, that's cool. What, what is that feeling that happened when they changed keys? Well, I don't even know what a key change is. Like whatever's going on. And I sit here, oh, that was great, entertain me. That's, that's great. And then the preacher talks, and of course you can't talk when the preacher talks, right? Because he's talking, or she's talking, whoever it may be, because we're in one of those churches that ladies can talk to, by the way. And just like, like they're talking, I have to be quiet. And like, okay, here I am now. Entertain me. Do, do something special up there, preacher person. Say something that I appreciate. Preach a word that makes me feel good about my situation. Entertain me, peasant. <laughs> because we place ourselves on the throne of our own life and then we're seeking the joker to come in and like do entertainment while we try to deal with all our problems. Or we might be like King Saul in the Bible, like have somebody come in and entertain me with spiritualism so I forget about the internal spiritual problems that I'm trying to run from. Entertain me. This, Pastor, you challenge me way too much. I need to go someplace that's going to encourage me. Really? Yep, not there. can't do that. It's not my job. My job is to challenge our humanity. Every time we walk into the door, the question is, are we going to personally engage with the challenge of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords where he says, there is a culture that you and I need to adopt. And if we're willing to adopt it, there is going to be a result from this adaptation and this place of citizenship. And I'm just simply calling it the TRO. Don't be a spectator. Be an active participant in your divine destiny. What does this mean? T-R-O, your king. Like, what is, why do you keep saying trust, rely, obey? Trust, rely, obey. That's the way it works. Belief is not an acknowledgement of deity. A belief is literally trusting that he is there, relying on him, and then obeying every word that he says. You can't call yourself a believer if you don't trust him. You can't call yourself a believer if you don't rely on him. And you sure can't call yourself a believer if you refuse to obey him because you don't like what he's saying. Don't be a spectator. Get involved. Because the result that you're looking for, the result that you're asking for, the result that you're seeking, the result that you're knocking on the door, like your knuckles are bleeding from knocking on the door, the results mandate your personal involvement. So let me show you how this works. Trust, rely, obey. This is the TRO result. Trust is where you receive. I trust that when I ask, he will answer according to his will. Right? Anybody need God to do something in your life? Like all the hands went up. Some of y'all put like four hands up. It's really cool. Like where'd you get an extra set of hands? <laughs> we need God's involvement. Are we asking or are we asking to do what we want? There's a difference. We live in sin. We chase our carnal desires and then we want God to fix the, the overflow. We want God to fix the problem that was created by our own carnality. Like, God, fix it. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to, but you keep resisting the truth. 
You've got to trust him. He is your heavenly father. In this section, he talks about how, 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 how many of you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. If, if one of your children asks for a piece of bread, are you going to give them a rock? Or if they ask for a fish, are you going to give them a scorpion? Something to hurt them? And he says, if you're being evil, know how to do this. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks? The question is, what are we asking for? The question is, what are we seeking? And when we seek, that's when we rely on him. Here's the thing. You've got to recognize that the king of kings and the Lord of lords already has everything that you need. And when you seek the answer, what you're really doing is you're seeking him. And the more that you do this, the more that your heart and your life becomes to rely on his truth. The question is, are we willing to obey? Well, we are until it bumps us. We're willing to obey until it doesn't agree with our politics. Because our politics are literally in, impacted by whatever's happening in the world at that time. We're, we're willing to obey until it makes us stand apart from the world around us. Well, I've got to fit in. I don't want them to cancel me. Like that, that seems negative. I don't want, no, this is who I am. This is, no, trust, rely, obey. Who are you obeying? Are you obeying your carnal desires or are you obeying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Let's move off of that because I'm getting some daggers thrown at me. Let's look at the next result in, in verses 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow. Oh, y'all probably not gonna like me anymore on this one either. Enter through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow gate. Why? Why? That gate seems like we're going to have to get in a line or something. Because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Has anyone ever heard the, the phrase along this line that there are many ways to God or many pathways to God? Anybody ever heard that? You, you can come to God however you want. Really? I seem to recall the, the word of God, literally, the physical word of God. Jesus Christ himself saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father, to the source, except through me. There is a very narrow gate because there is only one pathway to salvation. Well, I do good things, I'm saved. No, you're not. If you're saved, you should do good things, but doing good things will not save you. It'd be really cool if that could happen because then Jesus would have never had to robe himself in flesh and die on a cross and, and go through all that pain because if good works would have done it, by the way, we wouldn't even need any of this stuff we call the New Testament because the law would have taken care of it because the law was all about doing good things and doing the right thing and not doing the bad thing. The problem is we didn't obey the basic fundamental stuff. So he's like, hey, y'all can't do it. Y'all screwing this up. Jesus didn't say it like that. That's my interpretation of what he said. That's the Monty Living Translation. Like, y'all screwing this up. I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to become sin so that you who are sin can overcome your sin. Like, we have to understand that there is a very narrow pathway to righteousness. And let me, let me ask you this question because this is really going to bump into our sensibilities right now. Does your relationship with Jesus, or, or let, let me rephrase, will your relationship with Jesus make your life better? It's a trick question, by the way. I'll save any of you that want to yell out the answer. I want a better life. I choose Jesus. 
Yeah, I didn't find that one either. If you choose Jesus, it's your best life now. Is it? I chose Jesus. I lost my house in a hurricane. I chose Jesus. I walked out and my front tire was flat. I chose Jesus. The fool cut me off in traffic to make a right-hand turn out of the left lane. I chose Jesus. Somebody misunderstood what I said on social media and went off on me and took all my friends away. I chose Jesus. Someone that I love dearly walked away from me. I chose Jesus, yet someone still marginalized me. I, I, I thought living for Jesus was the better life. No. Pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I can agree with that. Well, let's, cool. Let's look at what verse 14 says. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. I just want, I want my best life now. Life sucks. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. You're going to die. In fact, you're dying right now. Not trying to be mean, but like the day you took your first breath, you're dying. Hope you're ready. Like, I just want a better life. Well, I'm sorry, life sucks. You're going to get colds. You're going to get viruses. You're going to get stomach bugs. You're going to get all the things that people are going to take advantage of you, take advantage of you. People are not going to like you. People are not going to recognize your goodness. People are not going to realize at all how amazing you truly are. They're going to think you're something else. Life is not going to be great simply because you believe in Jesus. That's a lie. That's what the devil tells us. So we chase something that's never going to happen. Because Jesus himself, the God of all God, says, how narrow is the gate? In other words, there's only one way into what I'm talking to you about. There's only one way in, and it's very, very narrow. And the pathway leading, by the way, I am the way. It is a very uncomfortable path. In fact, I want you to realize that as my disciple, you're going to have to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. Like we don't even understand what that means. Like, take up your cross. Yeah, I wear I wear it on my neck. It's it's a decoration. I have it tattooed on my back, and it like completely covers my entire back. So I'm, I'm extra safe. When the vampires come to get me, they see the cross on my back. I'm okay. It's Halloween weekend. Y'all already think about vampires. There you go. That's how you tattoo a back uh, cross on your back. Actually, don't do that. That doesn't work. But. He says, take up your cross. What does that mean? A cross is a burden. Literally pick up the thing that is going to be used to murder you. That is tough. Pastor Matt is right. That is tough. Oh my God, Pastor. People are not going to join the church when they hear that. Discipleship is going to cost you everything. Salvation's free. But discipleship is literally going to cost you everything. That's why the, the pathway is so narrow. He never promised you a better life. He promised you a better you. There's a big difference. Life with Jesus doesn't make your life better. It makes you better. Just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make you like Christianity squared or like super Christian, like the Christian Avengers. That's not what happens. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. It makes you better than you. 
This is why we need to lean into who Jesus is and what he's doing in our story and where, where he's leading us because we need to have a faithful result from our belief. He says, how, how narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Here's the deal. Believer, you've got to hear me today. You determine your own eternity. Well, God knows where I'm going to be because he's already predetermined. Nope, he has not predetermined. Don't let some religious whack job tell you that predestination is something that's true. That's not true. That's a misunderstanding of what Paul was saying. That's not real. God has given you the choice. You determine where your eternity will be spent. You do. I do. I determine where I'm going to spend eternity. You determine. There's a very narrow way to get. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. You can't get into the, the kingdom of God without going through the door. You can't get into the sheepfold without going through the gate. These are all things from the word of God. There is only one pathway. His name is Jesus. And don't expect life to be better, but understand this. When the king of kings and lord of lords is the one leading you, every step you take, every breath you take, he's going to be right there with you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to abandon you. And even though the way may, may be difficult, he's going to hold your hand the entire time. So what do we learn from this? Don't be a quitter. Don't be a quitter. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a quitter. Like, here's the deal, y'all. If you're a believer, stop looking for the exit. Stop looking for the comfort. And stop looking for the easy. I just want it to be easy. Put on diapers, go back home. It's time to grow up. It's time to realize that our faith actually is filled with absolute God responsibility for us to be the change that we want to see in the world in which we live. And like, well, I don't even know how to be, be faithful because your king is faithful. Study his life. Follow his example. Imitate. Rinse. Repeat. Get up tomorrow and do that. Well, what about Tuesday? Get up Tuesday and do it. What? You're starting to catch the picture. Just do it every day. Well, I, I don't know how to do it on Friday because that's the day that I normally wild and out. Okay, cool. Stop doing that. Imitate your Jesus on Friday and Saturday. It's a whole lot easier to live in relationship with God when you're actually chasing him every day instead of just one or two days out of the week when you're going to be around other believers. Okay, let me give you the faithful result. Here, here we go, here we go. Faithful result, number one, you have to accept his call. Everybody say, accept his call. You have to surrender to his choice. See how quiet it got when y'all said that? God is very pro-choice. It got even quieter. Just not the choice that society is pushing. God is very pro-choice. He's giving you the opportunity to make a choice. He says, I put in front of you life and death. Choose life. You've, you've got two things in front of you, life and death. Choose life. And we're like, I'll take some death, please. Uh, where, can, where can I get some more of that death, God? Uh, is, there, is there any more of that available? And he's like, no, choose, choose life. Oh, you're coming back for seconds? Have you tried the life? Yeah, the death was wonderful. Because then I can cry and pout about it. If I choose the life, I have to let go of it. And then I have to live in freedom. Oh, God, I don't want to do that. Like, actually walking in the freedom that I claim to have. Well, what's that all about? 
Imagine actually living free. It's, it's not just something I tattoo or post everywhere. I just, it actually becomes truth. Like, wow. I've put in front of you life and death. And we're like, death. And he's like, no, choose life, bro. It's, it's way, way better. Yo, but you and I have to surrender to his choice. If he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he already knows what we're wanting. In fact, he says, no matter what you've been tempted with, I was already tempted and I overcame it and I showed you how to do it. Trust my choice for you. I, I just want you to tell me my purpose. Here it is. Accept his call, surrender to his choice. But what's my purpose? Accept his call, surrender to his choice. But I want my purpose, God. Accept his call, surrender to his choice. And then this, Commit to his mission. It's time to be faithful. This is the faithful result. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven are faithful. They're not dipping in and dipping out. They're not checking in and like on fire today because I'm leading a small group tonight and then tomorrow everything in my life falls apart. No, that's not how it works. Yes, life happens, but when you are passionate about who God is and you are surrendering to everything that he is putting in you, when the trials of life hit you, because by the way, they're going to hit you, it's going to rain on you, but they're in that moment, it's not your strength that you're serving in you are serving through the strength of the almighty God breathing into you every day there's a faithfulness that comes when we make the commitment I believe God is calling some believers out of passivity into a place of faithful commitment like no matter come hell come high water I'm gonna stand here and if you knock me down devil I'm gonna get back up because my God is my strength Let's look at verses 15 and 16 for the next response. He says, watch out. Look at his name and say, watch out. They're turning right out of the left lane. That's not what he's talking about, but watch out for false prophets. Wait a minute. I, I follow Christian TikTok and Christian YouTube, and there's all, oh, I got a word the other day. Watch out for false prophets. Pastor, I have a word for this church, and I, I got it off of a cereal box that I got at Chick-fil-A, so I know it was spiritual. I was at Hobby Lobby, and I got the statement, and like the Lord moved. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are really, really bad wolves, because I can't say that word. Thank you, English teacher. <laughs> voracious. The word for the day is Voracious. Use it in a sentence. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. Really, really bad wolves. That's, I just said it where we could all get it, Karen. But anyway, that, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Y'all, here's the deal. You got to watch out because there's going to be people saying things that are not from God, and they're going to tell you they're from God. Oh, I got a word for you. It doesn't align with anything here because it's a rhema word. You know, the rhema words are extra special and God gave them to me. I'm a better Christian than you are and God speaks to me directly. You'd crap your pants if God spoke to you directly. Don't act like you're somebody special. You know you would. And don't act like you're special because I said that in church because you were already thinking it. So they're there. God's not going to give you a special word for somebody unless it's already been written here. Then he's going to give you a word to show them how to apply his word in their story. 
No, but this is, no, it's not. Watch out for false prophets. Because they're telling you stuff you want to hear. Because in the last days, people are going to heap unto themselves teachers, having itching ears like, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what makes me feel good. Tell me what I agree with already. That way I can leave feeling affirmed and validated and never challenged. Therefore, I never change the life that I'm living. And I live in a state of unbelief because I'm not trusting, relying, and obeying the King of kings and Lord of lords. Does this make sense? In other words, don't believe everything that you hear especially if it doesn't challenge. Isaac and Linda started coming to church a, a few, how long y'all been coming to church? Three, four months? Three months, three months, okay. Three months, they've been coming to church for three months. And like Sunday three, I'm like giving him the fist bump, you know, the pastoral fist bump, I don't know you yet, we don't know, but I, I'm so glad you're here, keep coming back, don't leave, you know, just like that whole thing. And he goes, Every time I come to this church, I get so challenged. And my response was, you're welcome. That's my job. Be careful of all the words you get that never challenge you to make changes in your life. Because that's not from God. You got to be careful and watch out for false prophets. Well, how, how am I going to know? If they're out there, how am I going to know? That, fantastic question. You'll know them by their fruit. By the bag of fruit they're carrying? No, that, not that. Not that. You'll know them by the result of their life. Another way to put it is, you'll know them by what their life produces. Is their life chaotic? Is their life filled with drama? Guess what they're going to plant in your life? Chaos and drama. So they can spread it like gangrene through your spirit so y'all can be dramatic together. Anyone ever heard the phrase, misery loves company? That's why they will give you a false word from God so that you can be miserable with them. And here, here's what we do. Here's, somebody hear me. Here's what we do. We go seeking a word. This is why Paul says, you got a lot of teachers. In other words, you have a lot of people influencing you, but you don't have many fathers. In other words, you don't have many people correcting your bad behavior. Because we don't like that. We don't like it when somebody says, hey, don't, don't do that anymore. And, and I get this a lot as pastor, and I'm not, I'm not coming for anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting us to adopt the culture. Does that make sense? I want us to adopt the culture that our king has already set forth. People come to me like, pastor, my life is so filled with this, 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 this. Okay, all right. Have you prayed about it? No, but I talked to this person and this person and this person and, th and they all said a different thing. Did you talk to this person? Well, can you just tell me what to do? That, no, my name's not Jesus, it's Monty. I'm not your daddy. I got four crumb crunchers of my own. I don't need any more. We won't be adopting anytime soon, but I, I don't need any more kids. You got your own kids. You got your own life. You, you, you are children. You are not my sheep. You are his sheep. I'm not your shepherd. I am the under shepherd who works for him. All that means is I'm a sheep with a little bit more responsibility. You, you need to learn to stop listening to all the voices because your ear is itching for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. And you need to say, word of God, speak into my situation and here, here's the deal. That's that side. Let me talk about the other side real quick. I'm a pastor. Is it okay if I pastor real quick? 
Okay, I don't get to do this from the pulpit much, but let me pastor you. Hey, y'all, stop trying to counsel everybody. Stop. You don't need to listen to them vent. You're hurting them. You, well, I didn't say anything, but you opened the door for them to vent, and then you said, I'll pray about it, but you never said, stop doing that. If you're going to listen to it, you need to give them godly truth. If you don't feel comfortable with that, stop listening. Direct them to someone whose job that is. Or better yet, grab them by the hand and say, let's go to the altar together. Instead of sitting around and wallowing in our problem, let's come over here and go to the throne room and watch what can happen in the throne. We're not supposed to be counselors. There's only one counselor. The Holy Spirit is the divine counselor. And your humanity is telling them pop culture and your humanity is telling them your opinion and your humanity is telling them your personal therapy that you did. That's not what he said. That's why people get stuck in their problems because the church is trying to sit in a spot where I'm supposed, I don't even know why I'm saying this. Somebody here, here we go. Let's move on from this. Here's the deal. You and I determine what our life produces. So don't be unproductive. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, don't be unproductive. It does not matter how much you know. It only matters if he knows you. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. Well, real quick, about to explain that. Let's, real quick, the faithful result is live a life that displays your citizenship and live a life that produces fruit for Jesus. What's being produced from the life that you're living? I believe in Jesus, but I'm sad all the time. I believe in Jesus, but I'm depressed all the time. I believe in Jesus, but I'm hurt all the time. I believe in Jesus, but I am an absolute dumpster fire in every part of my life. Everything I touch is falls apart. It's like the movie Endgame. Like, it turns into dust because you walked in the room and it falls apart. Like, that's not a life lived for Jesus. And if this is happening, you're not cursed. You're not chasing your king. There's a common denominator here. The pathway is to the altar. Amen. So that, that's the fruitful result. Let's look at the authentic result. Everybody say authentic. Matthew 7 verse 21 says, oh, th this is tough. Brace yourself. Like grab your neighbor's hand. Here we go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not every believer is a citizen. But all God's children are going to heaven. No, they're not. Because not everybody's a child of God. But there's so many pathways. Pastor, could you make room for this idolatrous re religious expression? Because that's what all my family is. And I don't want to actually have the conversation with them that they're doing wrong. So can you make room for this? No, I can't. There's only one pathway. Jesus. Not his mom. Not a bunch of dead people. Not religion. Well, this is my denominational theology. So what? What does this say? Pastor, that's challenging. You're welcome. Because when we buy into all this stuff, we start believing lies. And what started off as a way to try to get to God becomes idolatry, slowly but surely separating us from God. And when the church says, oh, it's okay. It, 
That's an expression of faith. No, it's not. It's an expression of idolatry. Stop chasing it. Stop making room for it in your life. Stop chasing superstition that a human being made up thinking it's getting you closer to God. It's not. Stop burning stage in your house thinking it's going to clear the evil spirits. It's not. It's going to make your house smell like somebody's been smoking a joint. Use the sage in your roast beef. Don't use it in your air freshener. Stop burning candles to try. No, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't do one thing. Well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to read my horoscope. Stop, that's witchcraft. You're playing with something you don't even know what it is. Well, you know, we got together and we played with the Ouija board because it was, what? Do you even know what? The, no, you don't know. It, it, it's a game. Mattel came out with it as a way to hook kids. And silly Christians who are superstitious don't realize that there is a world that exists outside of the world that we live in and we're playing with things we don't even... Well, I just, I, I believe the mystics because they're great. I, I went to a seance because, you know, it's New Orleans. You know, we do the ghost tours and like, no, citizens don't because citizens want to get closer to Jesus because there's something real and not everyone is, is, is going to be able to enter the kingdom well, who's going to be able to? Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here's the deal. Believer, you determine your realness and your fakeness. So don't be fake. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be fake. Hear me. With all the love that I can muster, this is not judgment. This, this is love. If you don't TRO, trust, rely, obey, you ain't a believer. That's, that's, that is so harsh, Pastor. No, that's love. Because if you're not trusting, if you're not relying, if you're not obeying, you're chasing a lie. And someone told you that you were saved and you're not. And you're not on a pathway into the kingdom. You're on a pathway into more and more hell in every part of your life. Someone tell this fool to stop calling me. Sorry, I, that, the reason I keep touching my arm is someone's calling me right now. It's in the middle of church. Leave me alone. We're fine. You and I determine our own realness, so don't be fake. Let me give you the authentic result. Surrender your preference for his will. Surrender your preference for his will. Okay, last one. Last one. This is the sixth response, verse 24 and 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Let me, let me ask you this. What is your house built on? Is your house built on something that you created? Is your house built on Jesus or is your house built on something else? What determines the foundation of your life? Look at verse 26. Everyone, hear this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. What do we learn from this? You and I determine our foundation. Now, I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not. But I'm pretty sure that sand doesn't make a strong foundation. Morgan, you're, you're a structural engineer. If I decided I wanted to build a six-story hotel for all of my favorite friends and loved ones, and I built it on Pontchartrain Beach, 
Is that going to stand? Why not? It's going to shift. Look at your neighbor and say, shift happens. It's going to happen. Life is going to shift you. Life is going to bump you. Life is going to mess with you. And if your foundation is your opinion, guess what's going to happen? When the rains come and the winds begin to blow, it's going to be like, ah. Anybody ever heard the story of the three little pigs? Okay, you can't build your house of straw and expect the big bad wolf not to come in. You cannot, believer, build your house on the shifting sands of humanic culture and think it's going to have a strong foundation because the rain is going to come and wash the foundation away. The winds are going to come and blow it away. You're not going to have a strong foundation if you're building on sand. The only foundation is on Christ, the solid rock. I sand. All other ground is sinking sand so, so here we go here we, here we go last one don't be a poser don't be a poser if you truly believe live that way if you don't let's fix that it's not hard stop faking it you will not fake it till you make it you will never make it you'll just keep faking it stop being a poser now, let me ask you this. Is your faith active? Is your faith active? Because what we're learning right now at the end of, of his sermon is there is an active result. I'm, I'm just, I'm here. I'm going through the motions. It's, I've served in the past, so I'm going I'm to make room for other people to serve. And, and I'm just in my alone time right now. No, you're hurting yourself. Your faith is supposed to be active. So let's look at this real quick. What is the active result? Listen to the truth. Hear. Listen to the truth. Then live truth. Do. I hear the word. I do what the word says. I don't like what the word said. You're not going to get the results. But if you hear truth and you do truth, your life begins to imitate your king. And this is when we begin to see the results of our faith. Y'all, this is the culture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, there's an attitude I want you to have. And the attitude is that Jesus is greater than I am and I'm not in charge. There's a response that I want you to have. Instead of reacting emotionally when bad things happen, I'm going to lean into a response that comes from a place of intimacy with the King of Kings. And then there are going to be results. There's going to be fruit produced from my faith. It's not just information I know. It is the result of an intimate moment with God of all gods. This makes sense, y'all. Anybody feel like you've been challenged by the Holy Spirit? Here's what I want to do. Everybody across the middle, let's stand. Lift your hands and close your eyes. I'm going to dismiss you in just a second. But before we leave, I want to give God a chance and an opportunity to do something in everyone's life here today. The worship team is going to come join me. And we're going to create an atmosphere where God will meet you. In fact, he's going to invite you into his throne room right now. The question is, how will we respond to the king when he says, come on in boldly. Come boldly before my throne and make your petition known. Ask, seek, knock, hear, do. But see, all of this starts with a heart posture. In fact, nobody looking. Everybody, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. 
Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would begin to move in this place. I know that your presence is already here, but I ask that you would begin to move and touch hearts, touch minds, God, touch attitudes, touch hurts, Lord. The people who are broken and, and they're, they're carrying so much pain and so much anxiety and so much just abandonment, Lord, I pray that right now you begin to just touch them, Lord Jesus, and begin to speak peace into this room. There's a posture that every believer needs to have to have the right attitude. There's a posture that every believer needs to have to learn how to respond instead of react. And there's a posture that every believer needs to have to see the results of our intimacy with the king. It's, it's not optional. This is just the way it is. The posture is this. You are king. You sit on the throne already. I'm inviting you to be king and sit on the throne of my life. So here's how we do this. You just simply say, Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to be God. I'm sorry for trying to be in charge of my life. I'm, I'm sorry for making the choices that pull me away from you instead of drawing me closer to you. But Lord, right now, I recognize that I am nothing without you. You are God. There is no other beside you. You robed yourself in flesh and you lived and you died for me. Not to achieve some religious posturing. Lord, you died for my sin. And then you resurrected so that my sin doesn't have to have power in my life. You are the king of my life today, God. I'm inviting you to invade every part of who I am. Wreck my carnality, Lord. Wreck every part of my bad thoughts and every one of my bad opinions. I, your, your way is so much better than my tradition. Your way is so much better than my religion, God. I'm making room for you right now. Come invade me, Lord Jesus. The Bible calls that prayer repentance. We're going to go into worship here. And if you want to come down to the altar and pray, that's fine. You, you don't have to. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you got to walk to the front. But if you want to, I want to let you know that this is here for you. And we have some people that are wanting to pray with you. They're not going to pray for you. They're going to pray with you. They're going to join together. He says where two or three are gathered together, where two or three agree, I'm going to be there in the midst of them. I don't know about you, but I need the invasion of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in my life today.